Uh, we're going to turn into our Bibles or the bulletin uh, to John uh, 4, and we'll start at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Do you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we, where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Well, good morning. Feels like a very intimate audience today. We are uh, re reading through the Gospel of John, thinking about one-on-one uh, -on -one encounters with Jesus. And John writes about uh, those encounters where an individual meets with Jesus and they have this very intimate and personal encounter. And uh, so today, John chapter 4, the woman at the well. And uh, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, literary things and the use of convention in storytelling. And let me, first of all, explain that. Um, I'll explain it by uh, Star Trek. If uh, you were to turn on the television and, a, a, and Star Trek was on, and uh, if you were a complete stranger to television, you would look at that and you would think, human beings explore outer space. They have spaceships. Wow, that's unbelievable. Wow, I didn't know we did that. Uh, but those of you familiar with it know it's not really outer space. <laughs> it's just a television show, and that's one of the conventions. You turn it on, you automatically know this is fictional, and it's not real. If you think through other parts of the Star Trek story, uh, in Star Trek, uh, the captain, Kirk, and Spock 
will beam down to some planet. And uh, they usually take with them a couple of other, other individuals dressed in red uniforms. And you know what's going to happen to the guys dressed in red uniforms. They're not going to make it. <laughs> They're going to be lost. In fact, that is now a cultural thing that everybody knows. In fact, you might even say that. Oh, you're dressed in red uniform today. What you mean by that is you're not important. You're not going to make it. Uh, and it doesn't matter what situation happens. You know, the key heroes... Kirk and Spock, they're not going to die. They're not going to get hurt because they've got to be there for the next episode next week. You know that every time you turn that on and watch the show. Those are just conventions. Well, so in the Bible, there are stories that have little conventions to them, and you expect certain things to happen as soon as you start to hear the story. And there is a convention about a man meeting a woman at a well. And after a man meets a woman at a well, what happens? They get married. Okay, that's the convention. Okay, that's what happens in the biblical story. A man meets a woman at a well, they're going to get married. Okay, that's just, that's just, everyone knows that's what's going to happen. Okay, so it happens with Isaac and Rebecca, although Isaac's not present, and there's a reason for that. Happens with Jacob and Rachel, and then it happens with Moses and Zipporah. A man travels to a foreign country, he meets a young woman at a well, just happens to be the woman who is marriageable, and uh, she meets him, they like each other. She runs home to tell her family the good news. She comes back, and they get married, and there's a meal, and there's a feast. And it happens in every one of those stories. And so when you come to John chapter 4, you expect all of these elements of the convention to happen. You have a man, single man, he goes to a well, and he meets a woman of marriageable age. And you think, oh boy, they're going to get married. Right? That's just the way the story goes. But it's interesting, as you go through each section of the story, the convention is changed just a little bit. So for instance... In the end of John chapter 3, Jesus is actually referred to as a bridegroom. That's John chapter 3. Jesus is the bridegroom. Then you see him coming to a well and meeting a young woman. But the, but the key is Jesus is not your typical bridegroom. Secondly, he meets a young unmarried woman at the well. But she is marriageable but you find out in the story she's not quite marriageable she's already in a relationship number three one of the conventions is someone always gets to drink water from the well however in this story the convention is destroyed 
it ends up no one drinks water from the well. In fact, the woman leaves her bucket at the well and she forgets about the water. Beautiful. Convention number five, not convention number four, the young woman runs home with news for her family. Well, in this story, the, the young woman runs home with the news, but it's not for her family, it's for the entire town. Number five, the two get married. Well, in a sense, this woman does become the bride of Jesus Christ. True? Yeah, just like you and I do. Jesus does is the bridegroom, and the woman does become part of the bride. A relationship is started that lasts forever. And finally, there is a meal, and you will find in this story, the disciples have gone into the town to buy a meal, and they come back, and the meal is forgotten. Because Jesus says, we've got something better to eat than what is here. We've got the work of God to do, and that is the wonderful meal. It's interesting how all elements of these typical convention and all of the typical story, they're all present, but they're all changed a little bit. So notice in the story. He had to go through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And verse 6, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noon. Uh, walking all morning, tired and thirsty. And it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. I think he has to go through there because he wants to meet this woman. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Greek text just says, give me a drink. All the niceties are stripped out of the text. It says his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. A number of things I want to pause and think about. First of all, Here's the reason Jesus has come here, to meet this woman. Number two, Jesus wants to be alone with the woman. There's no distractions. Number three, the woman cannot believe that Jesus asks her for a drink. She's incredulous. It says in the text that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Uh, Samaritans are half-breed Jews. You recall when the Assyrians came and wiped out the ten northern tribes, and they took the ten northern tribes in exile. They probably didn't take all of them in exile. They just took everybody who was important. If you had a skill, you were gone. If you knew medicine, you were gone. If you had money, you were gone. If you were a noble, you were gone. And all that is left is the riffraff of, of the Jewish people. Those are the people who have stayed in the land. And instead, they bring in somebody from another place and replant them in the land. And as they brought in these other cultures and planted them in the land, you have all kinds of intermarriage going on, but all of these other individuals who come into the land embrace Judaism. 
or some form of it. And in fact, they hold to the first five books of the Bible. A little, little, little different translation, it's called the Samaritan Pentateuch. And that's what they used as their Bible, the Samaritan Pentateuch. And so they worshipped God just using the first five books of the Bible, some kind of half-breed Jews. In fact, they look at Jacob as their spiritual father. And they trace their line through Jacob, through Joseph, through Ephraim and Manasseh. That is how they trace their lineage. But notice the rest of the Jews don't have anything to do with them. Why not? Well, I've got four reasons. First of all, they are unclean. They're unclean. In fact, that's one way to translate this. Uh, you might even have a margin note in your Bible. Uh, it says that Jews do not associate with Samaritans or they do not use the same vessels as Samaritans because they have unclean vessels. And so when Jesus says, give me a drink, she's shocked. Not just because Jews don't have, have dealings with Samaritans, but all she's got is her vessel, and Jews don't drink out of the same pots that Samaritans drink out of. That makes them unclean. And so she's shocked. Jesus is going to use, he's going to use my pots to drink out of? That's crazy. Makes no sense. Second reason why they don't associate, they're racially different. There's racism involved. Racism involved between Jews and Samaritans. Thirdly, they're religiously different. And fourthly, she's a woman. Men did not associate with women. Um, in our own history, it's not that long ago that uh, Americans in the United States would not associate with African Americans, with black people. And in fact, uh, in the southern states, they would have separate water fountains. One water fountain for blacks and one water fountain for whites. Imagine that. It's, it's so ingrained that you don't want to associate with these people that you change your plumbing <laughs> so that you use different water fixtures, you use different washrooms. African Americans could not use the same washroom that a white would use. Um, when I was in Bible college, uh, our librarian had been a pastor in the southern United States, and he had baptized a black person in the same tank as they baptized a white person, and he almost lost his job. They were so mad. How can you baptize an African American in the same tank that we will baptize a white person in? That's Jews and Samaritans, right? But it's not, this is not just 2,000 years ago. Like, this is just the 60s I'm talking about. That's not that long ago. How many of you remember the 60s? <laughs> Dan Brody can't remember it. <laughs> I remember the 1960s. Like the, we're, not, we're not talking about olden times, right? We're talking about times within our lifetime. We have, we have this ingrained racism that I'm not going to deal with these other individuals 
Um, and Jesus is cutting right through that. So here he is. He's in a Samaritan town meeting with a Samaritan woman asking to use her pots and to, and to get her to give him something to drink. I think he's showing us that we need to treat all people with dignity and respect. Um, so notice her response. She's surprised. You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And I like Jesus' response. He's trying to get right to, right to what he wants to do with this woman, what he wants to say to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God, she doesn't know it. She does not know what God wants to give to her. Notice, notice it's a gift, right? You don't earn it. God gives it. If you just knew the gift of God. Secondly, if you knew who it was that was asking you, you would ask him. If you knew who I was, knowing Jesus is the key. Notice all you got to do is ask him, right? If you knew who I was, you would ask me for the gift of God, and I would give it to you. So if you knew the two things, if you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who I was, then you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. Uh, they would often use the term living water for water that is fresh and water that is flowing. Uh, Jesus means more than that. She doesn't know that yet. I, I write down again, I said, too often we're asking Jesus for the wrong things. We're more like the woman. Right? She's thirsty. Give me some, I, I just want to have water. Jesus wants to give her so much more. And so often that's what we're asking for. We're asking for these little things, the little physical things, when he wants to give us so much more. Notice she misunderstands, and so she asks him, Sir, Lord, but probably better translated sir here. Later on, later on in the New Testament, we'll find out Jesus really is Lord. The woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? All, can she, all she can see is the problems with Jesus' statements. He doesn't have any equipment. The well's too much. It's a deep well. Where else can you get the water? Where can you get this living water? And finally, she says, do you think you're greater than our father Jacob? Are you greater than our father Jacob? What's the answer to that? Are you greater than Jacob? Yes. We know that as we read through the rest of John. Yes, Jesus is greater than Jacob. He thinks he's greater than Jacob. But as far as she's concerned, Jacob's the greatest. Because Jacob is her ancestor, right? That's where she comes from. 
Jacob, Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh, the Samaritans today, and he's dug this great well for us. And not only did he water himself, he watered his sons and he watered his flocks. Look how great Jacob was. And Jacob was so great, we're still drinking from his well today. How can you be greater than Jacob? That's like the pinnacle. Well, Jesus wants to point out why he's greater than Jacob. Notice verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Notice, I think Jesus is saying, I've got this water at my disposal, and I can give it to anyone I want. Jesus can give this living water. Jacob could never do it. Abraham can't do it. Moses couldn't do it. And so Jesus redefines water, and he redefines thirst. Notice three promises. If you drink Jesus' water, you will never thirst. Notice verse 14. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Second promise. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water. So when Jesus gives you his living water, it goes inside of you, and you have a spring of water inside of you. Third promise. The spring of water wells up to eternal life. It brings eternal life. Jesus calls it living water because it's ever-quenching. It's living because it becomes a spring of water, and it's living because it brings eternal life. Um, let me illustrate that through... Some common illustrations used for faith. He's got this wound up really tight. <laughs> A great theologian died this, uh, died this year, um, R.C. Sproul. And uh, R.C. Sproul... Uh, First came on, the, first became very popular when he did something on the holiness of God, and he had a series on the holiness of God, a wonderful series on the holiness of God. But an illustration R.C. Sproul used to often use about faith is uh, if you believed in something, then you used it. So I believe that this chair will hold my weight. John laughed. <laughs> I believe it'll hold my weight, so I'll, I'll sit there, and yeah, it, it, it works. So I've, I've trusted in the chair, and I've used it. And uh, R.C. Sproul used to often use that uh, for trusting in Jesus. When you believe in him, you use him, and you trust him. But notice there's a little bit more to it if you read John chapter 4. If you read John chapter 4, and if you come to Jesus, you become so satisfied, you never need another chair. In fact, you never want another chair, because this is the most beautiful chair. By the way, this afternoon, when I go home to watch the Super Bowl, I'm going to sit in my lazy boy. <laughs> that, that, but that's destroying my illustration. 
It's my favorite chair. <laughs> That's what believing in Jesus is. Believing in Jesus is not just, okay, let's try him and see if it works. It's trusting in him and finding that he is so deeply satisfying that you never thirst again and I will never need another chair or ever want another chair. That's the living water. He gives you the living water so that now in your life you have this deep satisfaction that Jesus has given you everything you need and want and you're satisfied. Wow. That's quite the promise. You drink from the water I give you and you will never thirst. Uh, notice her response, verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still thinking, just physically. Give me this living water so I don't have to come here. Now, just pay attention. I'm, I want to talk to Sam Carr for just two minutes, and you listen to me talking to Sam, okay? This is for Sam, okay? Sam, the Greek word here is enthada, and enthada means here, and it's used eight times in the New Testament. John uses it twice. He uses it in this verse, and then Jesus uses it in the next verse. It's for like coming here, enthada. Now, I think John uses this word because he wants it to pop. That, that coming here is what's important. Now, notice, I think she says, give me this water so that I don't have to come here. In other words, there's a problem with coming here. It's part of the thirst in her life is that she's had to come at 12 noon in the heat of the day when nobody else would go draw water. And she's come to this well, which is a deep well. How many of you would rather dr draw water from a shallow well? I think I would. Some, I, know, I know some commentators say that this well is 100 feet deep. I would rather draw water from a 10-foot well. Let down a 10-foot bucket on a rope and pull it up. To pull up water from a hundred feet down. That's a lot of work. And she has come to this well because she doesn't fit in anywhere else. And she doesn't want to meet anybody. And so she goes, give me this living water so that I don't have to come here anymore. In other words... Everything that she's been saying is kind of like a little smoke screen. Oh, our father Jacob, he's such a great guy, and he gave us this well. It's such a wonderful well. And the truth of the matter is it wasn't all that wonderful. There were deep, there's deep-seated problems in this woman's life. 
And so when Jesus says you can have this living water, her, her thought is, oh, I don't want to have to come here anymore. So give me this water. To come in the heat of the day at 12 noon all by myself and have to work this hard to get my water. Please give me this water. Uh, now you see, she would rather not come to come back here at the well at all. The well's not that great. It's part of her pain, part of her life. Uh, it's probably a well that's out of the way. It's just hard work. And she feels exposed to the stare, stares and sneers of other people. And that's where Jesus goes next. Verse 16. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Um, notice uh, most of the times when we uh, describe things, we, sometimes we use the truth to, to hide to hide things, and she's using the truth, right? She's telling the truth. I have no husband. It's true. And Jesus says that. He commands her twice. Listen, yeah, you've told the truth. What you're saying is quite true. The truth of the matter is, as you are living an immoral life, you're living with a man who's not your husband, you've had five husbands. Uh, why would Jesus bring this up? The simple answer, he wants her to be thirsty. He wants her to be thirsty for the water that he wants to give her. I think she's trying to satisfy her God-given consciousness and what's missing in her life. She's trying to find it in a man. A lot of people do that. Right? I, I, in fact, I believe that's the way of the world. Most people in the world today, if they're, if they're not living for God, you've got to fill that God-shaped void in your heart somehow. And so you, one way to do that is through a relationship. And a spouse becomes like a God. It's a lot, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of weight to put on a spouse. And it's no wonder marriages can't last. <laughs> Nobody can live up to that. She doesn't have God in her life. And so she's trying to fill that, I need to have a husband. And now she's on number six. And she's going to find that, that that doesn't work either. That doesn't satisfy. Jesus is trying to make her thirsty for what he can give her. Um, I got... Um, I asked this question, why do you think Jesus moves the conversation to bringing her husband? And I've got four answers why Jesus does that. Number one, Jesus does want her to bring people back. Go call your husband, Jesus says. Jesus wants her to bring people to him. The irony in the story is that here is a woman that no one wants to be around. No one wants this woman. Five husbands have already said no said get lost here's a woman that nobody wants nobody wants to be around but this is the woman that saves this town beautiful beautiful story 
This is the woman that Jesus will use to reach everybody in this town and tell about himself. That's phenomenal. Number two, why does Jesus uh, say, go call your husband? Uh, he, wants, he wants to solve that spiritual thirst. And part of the spiritual thirst is repentance. Here's the wrong I have done. And receiving removal of guilt. Number three, why does Jesus say, go call your husband? Jesus wants to heal the hurt. When your marriage, when your marriage goes south, the relationship ends. There's a tremendous amount of hurt and disappointment, right? Is this woman hurt and disappointed? Absolutely. Nobody wants her. Jesus wants to deal with it. And number four, as I've already said, she's trying to fill up her life and be happy and have a sense of fulfillment. One of the ways we do this is through marriage. It's not the only way people in the world do it. One way is through marriage. One way is through work. One way is through money. One way is through simply entertaining ourselves to death. You've got to fill your life with something. Notice her response. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Um, I like this. She gets uncomfortable. I can see you're phenomenal. You know things about me. You're a prophet. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> Let's talk about religion. <laughs> Rather than talk about my personal life, right? Be like meeting somebody and the most, you know, the t most, one of the most terrible things to talk about with, with other people sometimes is religion. But before you get personal, it's like, okay, let's talk about religion. We don't want to talk about me. Anything but that. And, of course, Jesus is going to come back. He'll talk about religion, but he's going to bring it back to, to her. The first Baptist preacher was given a lifetime appointment as a pastor. The very first Baptist preacher. Early 1600s. One year later, he was fired from his lifetime appointment. And the reason he was fired was his preaching was personal. <laughs> Pastor, we want you to preach, but don't talk about sin in people's lives. Don't make it personal. Today, this is personal. This is for you. When Jesus says, ask me for living water and I will give it to you. This is personal. Something you need to do. You need to go to Jesus Christ and say, I want you to give me the living water that he will give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes inside of your life. He changes you from the inside so that you have a spring that bubbles up. And that's the Spirit doing that. You're changed from the inside and that bubbles up to eternal life. That's the gift of God that Jesus Christ wants to give you. Part of salvation. And you need it. And you need to do something about it. And you have to ask Jesus to give it to you. Depend on him. Uh, next week, part two.
one-on-one with Jesus through the Samaritan woman. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.